Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's crimin time. Crimin time. It's crimin time. Yo, crimin time. Crimin time. Are we rolling? Hey. Welcome to the Touchdowns All Day with John Barber podcast. The podcast. It's a great gift. The holidays. It's crimin time. It's free. The podcast is a free gift for holidays for all your friends. It's crimin time. Let them know. Let them know. Did I just lose my volume? Am I out? Oh no, I'm drawing late. Alright, we're good. We're rolling. You know, I give Christmas gifts to people every year. I never, ever hear about those Christmas gifts again. Every year, no matter what I get people, I get, I'll, get you, I'll give you an RV. I will never hear about that RV again. I'll give you a computer. This year, I'm going to give computers to people. I swear to God, if I somebody gave me a computer, I email them every month and tell them how great it was. I'm going to give a bunch of computers out because, like, Amazon was giving them away. And uh, I'm not going to hear about them again for the rest of my life. It's like, it's like I don't know what, what's going on with Christmas time. With Christmas time. I don't know what's going on. Oh man, so I, I gotta go on tour this week And I have gone batshit crazy I have like empty suitcases all over the house I can't even figure out how many socks I need It's criminal time, I got stuff to do I gotta get around, I gotta make family decisions And here I am talking about the pre-Florida shows I'm excited to play these shows I think when I get to Florida, it's just gonna turn on But right now, it's like, yo, John Put a bathing suit in a box with a zipper on it, please. Just one bathing suit in one of them zipper boxes over there. Just in the next hour. I mean, it's like this thing. I I can't fill the suitcase with clothing. I don't know how to do it. All right, welcome to the podcast, folks. The Touchdowns All Day podcast. Use hashtag Touchdowns All Day online. And let us know you're out there. Talk to us online because, like, we can't do the podcast every day. But we could be online every day. We could we can chat. We have the best ticket contest giveaway we've ever had tonight. It's a Christmas time ticket giveaway on the podcast. Is the best by far ticket giveaway that we've ever done of all time. It's the best ticket giveaway that's ever occurred on the Osiris Media Podcast Network. OsirisPod.com. They've never had a Crimentine ticket giveaway like this. No way. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're going to tell you about that tonight. We're going to talk about a bunch of things tonight. We're going to talk about how awesome and honored we are to have baseman extraordinaire Mr. Mark Brownstein, a.k.a. Marn. On the episode 20 show tonight, we cut it at Syracuse a week or two ago. But, you know, you know how this stuff works. Like, one day I gotta do this, one day you gotta do that, one day you gotta do this. So, if there's something that takes three days, it gets spaced out to nine days because I gotta do all this other stuff in between. I'm busy, and that's a healthy thing to do. 
But you know, crimin time and busy time is the worst because in showtime, I got triple time. I get triple time in December every year. You know, I used to make a gift card app a couple of years ago called It's On Me. It's on dot me for those of you who want to go buy gift cards for people. And gift cards are super, super busy before Christmas. Like crazy busy the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Like the whole year's dope. And then Christmas is like dope times 10. It's absurd. Because when do you buy a gift card? You buy a gift card right before Christmas. And then I would go home and do all the nieces and nephews for Christmas. So literally, let me just put it in better context. When you run a gift card company, you have to work every single day of, of December leading up to Christmas. There is no day off. You don't take off Sunday. You don't take off Saturday. There's gift cards being just anything that's going to go in your, wrong in your system goes wrong in December. And you have to fix it immediately because you need to stay up because there's so much traffic. It's crazy. It's like uh, it's like it's like uh, it's like going into a, a Chinese casino in Hong Kong with wallets full of money is what it's like. And then Christmas happens and you go home and you give away a bunch of cameras and stuff to your nieces and nephews that you're never going to hear from or see ever again. Uh, you'll see your nieces and nephews, but I don't know what they do. They must like wait till I'm gone and then hit the camera with a baseball bat or something. This must be what happens over there. And then you do crimin time, and then you have Alan's birthday, and then you basically, or maybe it's Sandra's birthday, I think, and then you go to, uh, boom, biscuit show, biscuit show, biscuit show, biscuit show, biggest shows of the year, or something like that, or just, you know, just super coordinated, complex concerts, three, Tron, New Year's countdowns, um, always great songs. So December for me is 31 days straight. There's no day off in December. And this year, I don't got a gift card app, but I got a podcast. So here we are. We're hustling. I leave for tour tomorrow. I need to hire someone to pack for me because this weird mental illness that I have is sticking around, folks. I thought I fixed all my mental problems, but apparently not. Uh, but I'm going to keep hustling on it, you know. I'm going to keep working on it for you guys because, you know, how mental do you want me to be? You want me to be pretty mental, I think. I'm pretty sure. So I say court lunacy. Uh, packing is this, this is the first thing to go. The ability to pack is the first thing that you lose when you court lunacy. The second thing you lose is your driver's license and your phone. <laughs> And the third thing you lose is your uh, ability to understand locations. Um, so I'm good. I'm flying to Florida tomorrow. I'm aware of what Florida is. So I think I'm in good shape. I'm aware that it's sunny in Florida. I'm aware that I need to bring a bathing suit. I need to bring sandals. You'd think those would be low-hanging fruit to put in the suitcase. And now that I'm mentioning it, I think I might do that. But I can't because i got to cut this podcast. So... Hopefully I'll have this thought in two hours when the podcast is done. This is a dope episode 20. I'm very excited. Crunk Mike worked really hard on this one. Rich Steele worked really hard on this one. And Chris Lonergan and the streaming YouTube crew worked really hard on this one. We're going to post some video of this interview. It's an awesome conversation with me and Mark. And it's interesting how the podcast facilitates these band conversations. The one with Aaron was epic. This one with Mark is incredible. And it's great that the podcast is making the band sit down together and listen to music. And you guys are part of it with us. You're part of that conversation. How cool is that? 
How dope would it be to sit down with Bob Marley and Peter Tosh and listen to Bob Marley's first American tour? How, how dope would it be to go back and sit down with Simon and Garfunkel and, uh, you know, listen to them on tour back in the acid days, talk about their stuff live with you. So I don't know. Those are some pretty epic acts. I know that the Biscuits, we, we, we don't have the stable hits that those guys do, but we shred pretty good. We shred pretty good. So, you know, apples and oranges, folks, both delicious. Um, Let's talk about the podcast schedule real quick. We have a bunch of episodes coming up, and I realize it's kind of a crapshoot for you guys on what you're going to get every other week, every other Sunday. And I just want to give you guys a little taste of the schedule coming up because we have a lot of things planned and um, a lot of podcasts for you all to look forward to. Uh, in two weeks after this one, we're going to do our end of the year, episode 21, Blackjack, end of the year podcast, first year of the podcast, huge success, celebrate the successes, and we got a lot of new material in 2019, a lot of new songs, some of it isn't even Biscuit songs, some of it is some other stuff that I wrote kind of before the Biscuits dropped the whole set break is over thing. So what are we going to do? We're going to listen to all that stuff. We're going to talk about it. I'll play some demos. I'll play some different versions. I'm going to tell you stories about it. We're going to go through all of the new stuff that I think is worth listening to. And uh, that's a lot of stuff, actually. That could be like 10, 11 songs. I don't know. I haven't counted them. It could be 60. I don't know. I think it's mine, but probably close to 12. But that'll be a fun podcast. So it's going to be a little different format because we're going to be like going through song to song and... Um, you know, we're going to play the great jams in some of those songs. I think Vic mentioned that uh, the 4th of July from Burlington had a great jam that he loved. So we'll probably play that one for Vic. And then I think there was a Freebus Slinky that I saw posted to hashtag Disco Biscuits on Instagram by Nikki or something like that. I, I didn't look at it that close, but I saved it. So we're going to go back, find that version. And that moment is the Biscuits playing Freebus Slinky, and we just sound like a totally different kind of funk band, but it's a funk band with like a layer over it where at any point in time it can just fly out into this massive jam, and at any point in time it can just return to this dope funk band. Very cool. That song was a freebie, and uh, I, I'll explain that on the show. So that's uh, 1229, I believe, is when that show is. And then... We're going to have a couple shows following that. We have, it looks like in January, uh, a podcast on the 12th. And then that's it for January. Is that it for January? Oh, a podcast. Yeah, that's it. What? How's that even crazy? Oh, January 26th. We got another one. And then we got Feb 9 and then Feb 23. So that's how the calendar works. If you guys are unfamiliar. And in those three or four podcasts, we're going to do a Best Jams of New Year's run and probably Best Jams of Florida, maybe same show, maybe two different shows. We're going to do a show on Tractor Beam. I'm going to talk about Tractor Beam. I'm going to go deep on Tractor Beam. If you guys have questions about Tractor Beam, join the Touchdowns All Day Facebook group and ask them. You know, uh, just tell the group in there, I want John to explain this about Tractor Beam. I want John to explain this about Tractor Beam. The more questions you give me, the more I know what to talk about. Otherwise, I'm just chortling on like a weirdo who lives alone in a studio and uh, kills spiders most of the day. And then we're going to do a show on the guitar synth. 
which is new and fun for me. So that'll be a show that you can skip. It's just going to be me talking about my guitar synth. And you don't even need to tune in for that. You can just skip that one. Um, But all the jams will be guitar synth jams. And the guitar synth is part of the new sound. You know what I mean? The new sound is developing. And if the if the band like think about it this way, right? You have these bands, and sometimes they have a sound, and then they just change their sound overnight. Like Bob Dylan was playing, um, you know, all acoustic instruments, and then he just changed them over to electric instruments, and then Bob Dylan was electric, and you know everybody's head exploded for good or for bad, you know. And I get it from both sides. Like if you're a folk person. And you're building up Bob Dylan to be the head of the folk scene. You are, you know, praising him in a way that is kind of setting the path for him to be your folk messiah. And then two days later, he says, I don't want to do folk no more. Thanks again. You know, that is a moment where I get why the folk people were upset. because They were really helping him along in hopes that he would do the job of making the folk scene where it's at. And then he goes to electric and he's like, I'm going to make electric where it's at. So I don't think the Biscuits are doing that. I, I think we're doing a more gradual change where, like, we have little things here and little things here and little things here and little things there. And so every, like, two months or so, you're going to check in the, with the band and you're going to say, I don't know what this is anymore. And it's hopefully going to be great. So that's fun. I mean, look, if by December next year we have these jams where you have no idea what band you're listening to and it sounds like no other Disco Biscuits ever and it just took us 12 months to get there, is that bad? Is that is that I think that's probably correct. That's probably a good timeline. If we came out over New Year's and played all synthy stuff and you guys didn't get any guitar and you didn't get any of the stuff that you really want to hear, would that be good? I don't think so. I I like the gradual. I like the little bit here, a little bit there. You know, cuz it keeps you honest on the on the other stuff too. You can't just like change who you are. You guys when you come to a biscuit show, you expect you expect certain things. So we like to deliver the podcast. We like to deliver biscuit shows. We like to deliver um, the podcast here with Mark Brownstein delivers. Mark is also on the in and out with Turner and Seth podcast, which is on the Osiris podcast network. So check that out. I'm pretty sure we talk about different things than them. You know, I'm sure you're, if you, Want to really go inside the head of one of the uh, premier bass players in the jam band scene, if not the premier bass player in the jam band scene, then you have two interviews to do it. You have mine, and then you have in and out with Turner and Seth. We have new news, folks. We are syndicated. We have syndicated ourselves to 103.3 in Asheville, North Carolina, the Punch Bowl. And the reason that I'm... uh, bringing this up because i brought this up on the last episode you hardcore listeners know that but on the last episode i said 103.3 the soup bowl and i i need to do a correction we're gonna do a correction moment where you know i apologize i'd like to apologize for 103.3 the punch bowl for calling it the soup bowl i think i was sick when i was doing that podcast like i was a little bit under the weather and I kind of wanted some soup. So that's an option for an excuse right there. I don't know if you're going to buy it or not, but um, we, we're we on that show a lot. They're, they're playing a lot of biscuits. 
And I'm super happy for those guys. Thank you guys for playing our stuff. And now that I've done my correction, you guys are the Punch Bowl. The Punch Bowl with Chris, 103.3 in Asheville. Um, I think they have a website, too, for those of you who don't live in Asheville. Uh, okay, so let's get to the contest. This is what you all want to know anyway. So we're going to give away a ton of tickets because it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. Let's give away some tickets, right? Let's give away a lot of tickets. Let's do it. <laughs> it's going to be so awesome. Here's the deal. This is episode 20. We have our interview with Mark Brownstein. We wanted to get to 20, right? So awesome. We made it to 20. We got an interview with, with Mark. It's, this is one of the biggest things that ever happened on this podcast, and it's wonderful. But the way the calendar worked is the year ended on 21. So 21 is going to be in the middle of our New Year's tour which is all in New York City, 1227, 1228, and then 1230 and 1231, all in New York City, all at, what is it, PlayStation? Is it PlayStation? Is it Nokia? I think it's PlayStation. I don't have that in front of me because I don't know how to write a script, but um, I think it's PlayStation. It's in Times Square, and you guys all know where it is, so I don't even know why I'm going into this, but we have a Tractor Beam Show on 1227. Also, the after show, don't miss the after show Tractor Beam Show. Don't miss it. It's a full Tractor Beam Show, and we've been practicing Tractor Beam for two months now every single night. So that show's going to be hot, and those Tractor Beam Shows are going to be better and better, and this is going to be the first one where you're like, oh, my God, who are these guys? So keep that in mind for your New Year's week. And on 1229, when you're going to see... Uh, I think Mark has a show, Aaron has a show, Alan might have a show. When these guys are playing these shows on 1229, when you're walking to those venues or cabin to those venues, we're going to drop a podcast for you that day. Or after those shows, when you're at the after party, listen to the podcast. The podcast is going to be our end of the year episode, our celebratory first year episode, our we kicked ass all year and are psyched about this episode, our wow, the podcast was awesome and a huge success episode. And what we're going to do is we're going to listen to all the new stuff from 2019. So tune in. Now, before that, so from now leading up to then, we have a contest. It is the Epic Crimic Contest. And essentially, we need you to post a link or a screenshot to like the Nugs app of your favorite moment in one of the new Biscuit songs of which I believe there are nine right now. So anything that came out, anything that was first played in 2019, and you want to tag touchdowns all day so we can find your stuff and tag the new song so we have a, so it's easier for us to sort. If you, you don't have to, but please. And then if we play your moment... Um, and you know, if you just do it, we're going to put you into a drawing, and for each song, we're going to pick a winner. So there's going to be a 4th of July, there's going to be an anthem, there's going to be a hero, there's going to be a station, there's going to be stars in the sky, there's going to be a, a, a Freeba Slinky, Electric Slinky. There's going to be people posting each one of the songs with the hashtag and touchdowns all day, and we're going to look at those, and we're going to give two tickets to every single, to a winner on every single song. And I don't know what show you want to go to. Just, you know, you're going to post, we're going to send you a message, yo, you won, and then you're going to be like, yo, I want to go to Chicago on uh, January 4th. And we're going to say, oh, great. We'll leave you two tickets at the door. And you get to go to the show for free. For free, because it's Christmas. 
It's Christmas time. We want to give away some tickets. So, you know, and we may put some new songs in. I don't know what we're going to do, frankly, because I'm so disorganized. It's unbelievable. I literally don't know where my shoes are. But um, we're going to give away a bunch of tickets. And they're all going to go to some of you lucky fans out there. And this is a fun game for us to play. So, like, you know, at the moment, nine of you have a chance. You know, and if you post a bunch, you win all nine pairs of tickets. I really don't care. We're, and then we're going to look at what you post, and we're going to listen to those sections of the music, and we're going to pick the best moments out of that. And we are going to put those on the episode 21 New Songs show, end of the year. Thank you for listening. We love you all. Here's a ton of free tickets. We'll see you at the show. So that's really great news. And this is the biggest contest we've ever done. And I know I never explain these contests well enough. So post touchdowns all day. Hashtag the song name, link or screenshot to the song, put it on a social network that we follow, and we will find you, and we will put you in our little random number generator, and we'll just start giving away tickets like a like a lottery machine gone crazy, just spitting them out like nuts. So, and then you know, if you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, we're playing there in middle of January, so. That's a perfect, you know, if you live in Charlotte, this is a good contest for you. If you live in Chicago, it's good for you. If you live in New York, this is good for you. You know, wherever we're playing. And if you, you know, we just announced announced some Denver shows at the Mission Ballroom with a middle set of Tractor Beam in it. So sick. We'll give you a pair of tickets to that if you win the contest, for sure. So great value here from the podcast. We love our listeners. Let's, uh, Let's get to this episode 20. have a very 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 special guest on the show today our most requested guest ever the bass player extraordinaire mr mark brownstein welcome thanks for coming on the podcast thanks for having me we have a special show for you guys today we're going to listen to some old music we're going to listen to some new music we're going to listen to a bunch of different stuff and on the show mr mark brownstein so we don't have too much time because we're backstage at syracuse and we're going to end up running into soundcheck so we're going to pump out a quick podcast for you all out there Let's start with an order of business. There's a Star Kitchen show on the 29th of December. I'm not on the social media networks as much as other people are, so I don't see the full advertising of it all. So I want to know from a curiosity standpoint, 
What is Star Kitchen? Who's in the band? What do you have planned for the 29th? Okay. I can tell you all about it. So Great. it started out the whole thing, and I'll, I'll start from the beginning, and I'll end at the 29th. I could do it pretty quick at this point. I was at home a couple years ago, and it was Christmas, and we wanted to get into the Christmas spirit. We like to do like Christmas songs in our house, but not the traditional ones, and we found this Sharon Jones holiday album, right? She has this really, really cool album of Christmas and Hanukkah songs, the Dap Kings, and it got played extensively in the house, and just out of curiosity, because the bass player of that band made a comment that they tried out a lot of different bass players for the Dap Kings or something to that sort, and they were all too good. They were all flashy bass players, and they were all like amazing technically, but none of them can do what needed to get done in order to play classic R&B, sure. that classic Dap Kings, you know, throwback sound. So one of the guys in their group was like, I'll just play bass. That's just like how bass is. Who's got the van? Who's the guy who's like, I'll get a bass and just be the bass player. It's one of those weird instruments where you can master it and, mm. and become really great technically, but it doesn't necessarily help the big picture for your band. Like it doesn't come across in most situations. There's a couple of people where the whole band is built around the bass and then that's one of those situations so i thought to myself it'd be interesting to hear what kind of bass lines or to learn what kind of bass lines this guy is playing who thinks that everyone's too good at bass i'm into that i was like i want to play these bass lines so i started playing along with the album the stuff's super simple and like right in the pocket and it got me thinking about a time that Mike Gordon from Fish, who's one of my favorite bass players. I met him in 1997, I think. We did a show at the TLA that he came to. It was like a, a, around Fish's New Year's run. And uh, I ended up hanging out with him, and he played the Grey Boy All-Stars for me and was like, this is my favorite band right now. And then he took me onto the Fish bus and played me the James Brown video that they were playing every single night in the back of the bus, which inspired that whole 1997 seven sort of fish funk revolution i'm remembering that story i thought to myself i should pop on the gray boy all-stars and this is the beauty of spotify you don't need to have any album at any moment that you have a memory about anything or anything you can access all of the music in the world right now so i had this moment of inspiration and i popped on the gray boy all-stars and i started playing along with the gray boy all-stars and the way that that guy chris stillwell played bass really speaks to me then I thought to myself, you know, how. Wait, what's his name? What's his name? Chris Stillwell. Chris yeah. Stillwell, cool. So I'm thinking to myself, I've got, at this point, I had all the time in the world. I was like, oh man, maybe I'll start a funk band. You know what I mean? I'm playing funk bass lines now. And, and I'm just thinking about, like, how can I improve at now at this age and in my mid 40s? What can I do? You know, I play all the arpeggios up and down, I play all the scales and all the other things, but what can I how can I improve as a bass player? It reminded me of the time that Mark Friedman, the bass player of The Slip, I asked him, how did you get so good at bass? And he said, I just play along with the radio. That's my trick. And I never really did that, but I was doing that with the Grey Boy All-Stars and with the Dap Kings. I was going back and doing what his suggestion was. Just play along with great music. That's a great way to get better at your instrument. And then I was just like, oh, maybe I'll start a funk band, right? But that idea died really quick because I don't know any in that world I don't really there's no there was nowhere to start 
If I wanted to start an electronica, a jamtronica band, I've got all the guys right here. You know, it's the easiest thing in the world. But starting a funk band was hard. And I'll get to the 29th. We're getting there. I was playing at this event with... I was I was playing this event in New York called uh, Brooklyn Comes Alive, right? Kunj's Live for Live Music's event. Okay. And he paired me up with a bunch of guys that were like Jamtronica guys. We were playing like my songs at this thing, and it was it was fine. The music was fine. Very out of place for the event. Like your Disco Biscuit songs. Yes. So what, like Bird we're playing like again. literally Little Eye and Humu and Home Again. Wow. Okay. That's what the guys that I was playing with wanted to play. They were funky like, versions of them. Or no, no, out? it was it was it was exactly what I didn't want to be doing at this thing. Okay, fans are probably into it. They love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they loved it. <laughs> it was great for them, but it, I felt like a fish out of water a little bit there. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, I'm at this event and everybody's all like the cool funk guys and everything. I just said to myself when Kunj calls me next year I'm just gonna very politely be like hey can can you can we get Jen uh, Hartswick and Natalie Cressman I just started naming the people that he puts in all of the other funk bands For sure. and we put something together that was halfway in between Magner was there Greenfield was playing so it had like that sort of Jamtronica backbone but right. then it was Ryan Jalbert from the Motet and Jen and Natalie played and it was kind of getting there it was I was getting towards the sound that I was hoping to achieve but we weren't fully there yet and it was in a situation where we had to get out quickly on stage there was no sound check we didn't really get to practice the songs you just had to hope that everybody knew what was going on when we got there and after that experience that was two Brooklyn Comes Alive's in a row two years in a row I said to myself I'm resolved now to figure out how to find a couple of guys that could be a house band for this kind of a situation where you can bring in Carl Denson or, you know, Eric Krasno or Jen Hartswick or any of these funk musicians. And I've got three guys that know all of the songs and have practiced. And it's not a frenzy thrown together ad hoc where people, everyone's so many jam nights are. There's so many like gigs you get where you show up and nobody, that wasn't really practice. You get the sound check and... I was at home. I st- again, I still don't know how to do this. I'm like now, but the idea is becoming more crystallized in my head. I'm now starting to have an idea of in order to have this dream of, I don't even know why I had a dream to have like a band like the Grey Boy All-Stars. Just like all of a sudden out of the blue, I'm like, I need a band like the Grey Boy All-Stars. Like, I, I don't know why I it's need this. A perfectly reasonable dream, I think. It's it was like totally normal to me, frankly. It seemed like what I needed at the time. I was just like, this mm-hmm. is what I need. It's more mature. Like, there's like, it you seemed like something groups. that I can do yeah. when I'm 60 mm-hmm. or 65. In 20 years, it seemed like something that would have been a smart decision to make now. That's how I was thinking. I was like, you know what will be a smart decision when I'm 76? Mm-hmm. Having a jazz band. Most, so <laughs> most, most people at 45 are like, I need an IRA and maybe an right. insurance thing. <laughs> And you're thinking, I need to join a funk band of it's some sort. Basically, <laughs> it is insurance, you know. And so I, I said, like so I'm, I'm at home one day, and that's, this is where the universe starts delivering all of the things that I needed in order to complete the project and, right. and get to this moment. I'm at home, and Zach walks in with three or four, like, 16, 15-year-old kids, four or 14-year-old kids, and one of them looks at me and he's like, hey, man, you're in a band, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, my dad's in a band. And I was like... Interesting. 
cool. <laughs> like everyone. Is this a music school friend of Zach's or just mm-hmm. random? Friend? No, just a friend from from his middle school. Okay. And uh, I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. Everyone's dad's in a band. What band is your dad in? <laughs> and he goes, uh, he's like, well, he plays in uh, Alan Evans Trio and uh, mm-hmm. and the Eric Krasno band. Mm. Wow, bands. That's pretty impressive sounding. Yeah. I was like, what is your dad playing? He goes, he plays guitar. And I was like, is your dad Eric Krasno? And he's like, no, he's the other guitarist in the other in the Eric Krasno band. And I thought to myself, the guy must be, be able to play. This guy's dad must be a pretty good guitarist if For he's sure. playing with Alan Evans. And I Rats. literally went to this dude's like little league game. Zach told me like, oh, Jaden's playing little league, and I was like, oh, I'm going to that game and meet, just want to meet this dad. Mm-hmm. And I found the guy there and was, you know, I told him the whole story that I just told you about the whole thing, starting with listening to this holiday album to here we are and I want to try to do this and he was just like cool let's do it and he was like Eric Krasno like thing is kind of coming to an end right now and I've got all the time in the world and so the main pieces I was like funk is your thing he's like dude I'm an Eric Krasno and Alan Evans band he's like this is what I do like I started a band in the vein of soul live it's like organ trio stuff so I was like okay I never even went to listen to the guy's music, first of all. That's the way I was just like, this must be meant to be. The vibe was good. The vibe was cool. And and his kid and his family and ex-wife kind of friends with Deb. I knew that he existed. I had heard about this guy for a couple of years at this point, and now he's right in front of me. And he, So he, he started coming by the house. Just the two of us would play guitar and bass together without anybody else, and he's rhythmically ridiculously solid, so much to the point where you don't really need a drummer to be in the room, and you can get some really good grooves going. Oh, cool. He's trained in James Brown funk. That's what he does, is just play kind of funk the over the top chord style really really like and and on the money really knows the parts in and out is like a historian of that kind of music and so in terms of finding a keyboard player and a drummer the probably the the most important parts of being able to play funk and have it sound authentic you know, outside of the bass and which i had already I understood from the start that it wasn't necessarily going to sound authentic on the bass side. I was just trying to get guys around me that sounded authentic so I could get as close as I could. Half the game right there. I like that. I like that strategy. If you remember when we were young kids, we played with that dude, Rob Marsher, at the Middle East. Who uh, he, He just sent me a flyer from that show. It was Moon Boot Lover was the headliner. A band called Najarian was third of four we were second of four and roadside attraction was the name of the band and i think sammy was sick up in the van that night Mm. and they sang that song jacinda do you remember that song i love that song hey now jacinda Jacinda. right so i passes the memory test we now we only heard that song one time in 1997. <laughs> I know. No, we heard it one other time at a festival. We might have Wormtown or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so. Oh, it's that song again. Oh my God, Jacinda. So that guy went on to being in a band called Addison Groove Project. You remember those yes, guy? And they, he, those they, guys. they were a funk band that was, you know, pretty straight ahead funk. They stopped playing when their bass player passed away. Andy Cass was their first lighting guy. Like he was back with them back early in the day. Danny, the guitarist in Star Kitchen, said to me, like right away, he was like, Do you know Rob Marsher? And I was like, I do know him. I've known him my whole life of being a musician at this point. And he goes, 
Yeah, man. I don't really know him that well, but I played with him with Jen Hartswick once, and it's like sitting in a warm, comfortable, fluffy <laughs> bed playing with him. And he just moved to Philly. He works for CID. He does. And he did. He does. He sort of does still. He's he does IT, and he had just moved to, into to Philly to work for Dan. His wife is from Philly, and they literally this is two years ago had just moved down. And he's like, and Danny was like, I would like him to be the keyboard player of the band. I think that it's the perfect fit. He has a he has a bit of extensive Grateful Dead resume too, doesn't he, Rob Marsher? I don't think so. I think no? he's mostly just straight. He knows every funk song. Like the joke with him is, is it a song? Then he knows. Okay. I mean, he knows the dead stuff for sure. He's a fish guy. He really loves fish. And his wife is a huge, huge fish fan. Nice. He's the one guy from the funk scene who does go see fish and see the dead. And so has a greater, deeper understanding of what like type two improv is. Like getting out of the form of the song and going deep on improv. He definitely has that where a lot of the guys from the funk scene are more in the box you know and so that was like a cool aspect for me of putting him in the band was i don't it was just one less guy that i have to explain how i think about improvisation which brings me to the drummer so we then were like we got to find a drummer that really kills that's the key here and we tried out a bunch of guys and they all killed to one extent or another and i don't know i get to the end of the rehearsal and with every drummer and be like that's our guy right (laughs) it's got to be our guy how can that guy not be our guy and then rob and danny would call me for a secret lunch like the next day (laughs) i like these guys (laughs) yeah (laughs) the covert operatives yeah and they'd bring me in and been talking and that's not our guy right we just want to keep looking yeah yeah it's hard during auditions to. I didn't know what exactly we were looking for. You know, at that point, I was like, "What are we looking for?" And they yeah, were like, "When, when I hear it, I'll give you the nod." And then we mm-hmm. we showed up one day, and the guy that we were trying out didn't show up. And Brian, our monitor guy, Brian, was like, "I know uh, Jay Z's drummer, Boots Riley. You want me to give him a call?" And I was like. Dude, we are at our like seventh audition. I was like, yeah, it would have been nice three months ago if right. he told me this information. <laughs> He's like, I didn't think about it. So we called this guy Boots, and Boots was like, I've got your guy. Don't even stop looking. I've got a guy for you. And he called his guy, whose name is Marlon Lewis, and the guy came and tried out for us that week. And we, we were playing James Brown uh, or Maceo song, Soul Power, 74. And we started playing the song, and... If I'm not exaggerating when I say about 25 to 30 seconds into playing the song, Rob Marsher stopped the song and was like, okay, gave me the nod that he had <laughs> promised he was going to give me. He's like, right. I'll give you the nod when I hear it. Right. And then was like, hey, dude, you, you available to do this? Marlon was like, we're like 20 seconds into this. He was like, well, I guess so. I don't even know what I'm available for. I've only been playing for 20 seconds, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, but I got time on my hands, yeah. Played the head of soul power. <laughs> that what was else it. are we going to do? It was really, like, I heard it right away, too. Mm-hmm. It was just right. He was playing it exactly right. It's not what the notes are, but it's sort of how they fit in, and, and it's a feel thing. You know, I heard it right away as well, and so we, we hired him on the spot. And then like that. at that point... They knew what my concept was, but right then I was like, okay, this is what I'm hoping to do, but I now that there's human beings in the room with me, mm-hmm. I'm 
putting it out there that I recognize that this is going to end up being whatever the four of us are together. For sure. We've got the right components in place, but I'm not stuck on this initial idea of it has to be in the box, 60s throwback R&B, like instantaneously we just started jamming. Which was an interesting thing because Marlon had never really jammed and that this sort of what I said was I want to start out by just taking a groove and not doing anything for 10 minutes. I want to set a timer and just let everybody feel what 10 minutes feels like without changing anything. Okay. So like everybody's got like a clock in front of them and they play. My own clock. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you when the 10 minutes is up. All right, so you just you get to go into the meditative state. Everybody just else just play. Don't change. Mm-hmm. You know, just do your thing. It'll mm-hmm. change, I'm sure, naturally a little bit over time. You can't exactly stay looped for 10 minutes. I just want everybody to feel 10 minutes of music. What was the reasoning behind that? What's all about the I 10 minutes? I think that the idea was... I wanted to get everybody out of the mindset of there needs to be a solo happening at all times. Like mm-hmm. it's like in the funk world, okay, like you're playing the groove and it's like you nod to that guy and now he solos and then he's done and everyone cheers and then you know you nod to that guy and he solos and then every, he's done and everybody cheers. But there's not as much group improv. And I thought that the first step of group to get to where we were doing group improv would be to just strip the solos out. And the way to do that was to be like, we're going to play for 10 minutes and you're going to resist the urge to solo. Uh, Okay. And there's a four piece at that time. Four piece. And they all thought that I was insane. I I don't know that Rob thought I was insane. I think Rob was kind of like, he looked like maybe he was too stoned to even care, but (laughs) we eventually just determined that that's how he looks. But he, but he, but he was kind of on board with the idea, but Marlon, Mm-hmm. Was like, whoa, 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 hold on one sec. We're never going to play for 10 minutes anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let alone 10 minutes without changing. And of course, we've multiple 25 minute jams at this point. It was just an exercise of let's play and not solo and just feel it. There's no reason. I, I didn't really have a great purpose other than thinking that might be the first step towards group improv. And it was. It, it was definitely like a stepping stone towards getting these guys to think that there's three kinds of. There's the compositional part, there's the solo parts, and then there's this other space that we can exist where we move the music around slowly and just kind of sit in the rhythm. You play rhythm, you play rhythm, I play groove, and we just kind of change it little by little, much like the biscuits do, but just in a different context. Sure. You know, or fish or or the dead or whatever. Like all of the, the type two jam bands eventually leave the solo do we need to explain to the podcast listeners what a type 2 jam band is you may as well right because you have to assume that there's somebody out there that doesn't know what we're talking about so an improvisation is a type 1 improvisation means that it's being improvised over the direct form of the song you're not the chord progression is still there there's a chord progression that defines what that composition is and you never take it out and you kind of improvise over the chord progression like Freebird or something like that yeah, well, and that's just like soloing over the chord progression. And then type two would be where you're leaving the groove or the key or or the changes in a way that you've definitively left the song behind and are, you know, writing a new song in real time. You know, and that's what the Disco Biscuits do is, you know, type two improvisation. What Fish, that's the common link between the Disco Biscuits and Fish and the Dead and a couple of the other exploratory psychedelic jam bands that are out there. I feel like the Dead did a lot of exploratory type one. 
They did keep the changes in so many of their jams. Eyes of the World, for instance. Like, they're jamming Eyes of the World all the way out to the end of the world. But you could tell it's Eyes still. It's still Eyes. The uh-huh. changes are still there the whole time. Yeah, the dead, the dead do a lot of deep type one jamming. Yeah, it's like this crazy type one where they just understand the changes so deeply that they... they That's perceptive. Almost like a jazz thing. Yeah, it seems like they keep in the form of the song a lot. As those improvisations go, you'll notice like the form of the song or how many like bars it is. They stick with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So anyway, so that's that. That's how the band started. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So then, what we did once we started to play, we decided that we weren't gonna. We tried out some horn players and stuff, and then we were like, you know what? We know all of the horn sections. We're friends with Lettuce. We're friends with the Motet. We're friends with Jen and Natalie and James from Trey's band, and especially Danny and Rob are really actually, these are like their best friends. You know, they're friends with all of these right. people in a way that a, a deep, long friendships from the, the way that we have with Umphreys and Sound Tribe and the bands we've played with for 20 years. And so I have, now have like a Rolodex access to all these musicians that haven't necessarily been hanging out around our shows. And so these guys were like, why don't we just use those people? When we want a horn section, we'll hire a horn section and bring them in locally based on who's there. The uh, and we started doing that. One of the first goals that I that I stated because Carl was so instrumental in the starting the, the the seed for starting this band was that Star Kitchen would play on the pool deck at a jam cruise with Carl Denson. And I wrote I, the first okay. day when we were together, the first um, day that Marlon was in the band, I just was like, hey, this is kind of a goal. I'm going to write it down. I want to write this down just so that we can see that it's a stated goal here and. Like a mission statement or something like that. I Yeah, exactly right. Just like sort of this is something I feel like we can maybe manifest this by just at least putting it on paper, you know? What what did you put on the paper? I wrote Star Kitchen, Pool Deck, Jam Cruise with Carl Denson, Eric Krasno, and Jen Hartswick. That's what I wrote down. That's okay. That, that's, yeah, I still have it at home. I left it at home because it was cool. Uh, Jen Hartswick wasn't on the boat at that point, but we have a sick video of us with Carl and Eric Oh, so when you mean playing with Carl Denson, you mean like in the same band at the same time, not that like was, him and then you guys. No, no, yeah. The idea that I had was that we would have Star, Carl Denson would be featured with Star Kitchen, which was on, we were day one. Wow. And With Kraz playing guitar. With, and I thought, I figured, hey man, this guy's in Kraz's band, let's, you know, let's, let's just slather it on. And great. that was in, you know, that was in March and... By the following January, we were on the pool deck at Jam Cruise with Carl Denson. Now, I did have to ambush Carl Denson at breakfast to make <laughs> to manifest this, but he showed up and played, and it was cool. So it was just like a little goal. like I was like a little life goal. I, I want to get the guy that helped inspire, bring this thing, uh, you know, making this thing even exist and get him to be with it. And since then we've had, you know, like Robert Randolph and Carl D and Jen and Natalie and James and the Motet horns and, and, and so many guests have come up with us over this first year and a half. And then just on this last tour was the first time that we started playing just the four of us where we were like, all right, now we're on tour. We don't have guests. We've got to figure out what this is with just the four of us. And that was a great process. And now we have the end of year blowout, 1229 at the Sony Hall. It's the Disco Biscuits day off on the New Year's run. It's still post after the fish show. And it's got uh, 
Krasno is on there, and James Casey and Jen Hartswick and Natalie Cressman, Trey's entire horn section and backing vocals wow. are playing with us. And we have special guests that I'm not, Kunj told me I'm not allowed to announce the special guest yet. Okay. But we have at least one. It might be you. Huh. Doesn't yeah. I have the day off that day. I mean, I <laughs> Not allowed to say who it is. <laughs> Could be but anyone. We're just stoked that this thing, we've had a chance to do about 40 shows now. And I didn't know that we were going to be on this biscuit store in the fall. So I had a whole tour booked. And right. then they put a whole nother tour right, right behind tour. it. So I'm about six, seven. This is my eighth week of touring. Wow. Now. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. That's great. And so today's your last day for eight weeks. It's my last day of eight weeks, yeah. Wow, and then I get two cool. weeks, two, three weeks off now before the the Fort, Fort Lauderdale run and the Florida run. Wow. So yeah, that's the story of Star Kitchen. We we uh, the only thing about it is we've been playing covers until just until this tour. We started to just put one or two or maybe now three originals into the fold. So we have a we have a fan question. Great. From Jesse Boya, who is wondering what the plans are for a Star Kitchen album. Is there anything in the works? Do we have an original Star Kitchen album coming out? Is there something going on? Yes, there is. And luckily, we sold just enough merch to pay for it all. Wow. Our plan was to go on tour, mm-hmm. sell a bunch of merch, hopefully make enough money to pay to go into the studio and have cool. the whole thing fund itself. You know, I mean, that's the goal Love here. That. So we have three songs that we want to do, and we have a studio session coming up in Philly to do those. And then we're playing out in Colorado for two weekends in February while you'll be off. Mm-hmm. And in that time, in the middle section of that, we're going to take four, three or four days and go into the studio at Color Red Studio with Eddie Roberts, the guitarist of the New Master Sounds. Okay. And he's going to produce uh, a couple tracks for us there. Wow, so that's we have great. a couple sessions coming up and hopefully we're going to take the results of it and put out an EP. I'm not trying to bite off more than we can chew here. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm... I the thing about Star Kitchen is like I got four really nice guys that are really into the band and they're like, you know, they really are like they're super cool with the biscuits, like they love that the biscuits exist and mm-hmm. are so excited that we're out on tour right now. They're just like genuinely good dudes. They all have kids. They're all local in Philly and our thing is like, you know, we're just We've got a good thing going. Everybody is has a good vibe and likes doing it. And the idea is to just do it at, at the pace that we can do it. No rush. We took a year and a half before putting one song in. And on purpose. It was like the first year was like, let's learn how to play together and figure out what this is on other people's music. And then once we get there to where we're killing mm. and we know what we're doing and I know how to play over these tempos and all that shit and you know I had to learn how to play major pentatonic it was a big part of the last <laughs> two years for me it was a whole it's new funny thing I was thinking about that with our band too because we have uh, all the tractor beam stuff is new and there's so much new stuff you know back in the day when we started bands we used to play for a year without like oh we have to do this tour and we gotta have this functional set list going on all the things that we do took a year and a half to develop back in the day. I mean, how many shows did we play when we were playing all covers and then Nug Huffer and Basis? Yeah. Maybe C to be in there or something, but it was all, there was years of that, right? There was four years where we weren't touring, yes. where, where we were a full-time band, but not 
doing the things that prevent you from creating. Yes. Like all was, the way up through 99, really. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. It's hard to put that into a new band. It's good that you guys are taking that time because it's hard to, to kind of incubate the whole project. Yeah, that was the idea. I, I And I told the guys, I'm like, listen, part of the problem with Conspirator and one of the reasons that I ultimately had to pull the plug on it was mm-hmm. that... And I started on day one. I'm like, look, if you're trying to join a new band so that you can pay your bills completely full time off of this thing, mm-hmm. then this is not the band for you. Because like, I'm not in a position where I feel like I want to get to where I have to support everybody every month, you know. And, and then if the biscuits come and want to play for two months, like we are right now, and these guys don't have any other way to make money, it's just not sustainable like that. Yeah, it has tough. to be something where we're treating it like a project like a startup project that has five years where you can incubate it for for over a long period of time and and let it grow and build that way you know yeah for sure for sure all right well let's that's great 1229 new york city star kitchen everybody check it out and buy some merch and contribute to the new album (laughs) okay we have another question here from dennis pengalese pengalase uh, he's wondering why twenty minutes is never twenty minutes. Is that a is that a question that's worth asking, or is it just like one of those things? I've been um, trying really hard to come up with the exact time on this tour. It's funny he should ask if if he if he hears one night I said twenty six minutes, one night I said twenty eight right. minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to dial it in, and I'm not rounding up. I'm not rounding down. I'm really trying to find the number that we need. Okay, uh-huh. and it's it's seventy nine. That's the problem. <laughs> the problem is set break is really fun, and there's stuff. We, there's always stuff we can do in set break. That is true. I there's... think that's the problem. It's like we could literally practice the whole second set before we walk out on stage. There's so much, and we do, and we do, and there's so much new material and just stuff going on. So Joshua Gauger asks, uh, "How do you build a set list? What's the approach? What's the prevailing wisdom in set list?" Pre- production yes that's a great question first of all a lot of it has to just do with vibe like there's like a feeling about certain rooms or certain cities that certain songs seem like they should be played in certain places i don't even that's that i don't there's no science behind that part of it okay there's just like the vibe and that might be emotional connections that you have from memories in the past or you know great versions that you know that you've played in certain places oh, I see. but I see. but um so if you play a great crickets in syracuse next time you come to syracuse you're like yeah maybe we'll play crickets again yeah that happens sometimes maybe subconsciously uh for it, i really like doing it the way that we're doing it right now which is a month in advance mm-hmm. rather than showing up on the day oh, today I do have setlist material out in front of, of me right now because we've changed so many things in the last couple of days as we went that the setlist that I had originally for tonight needs to be changed just slightly just slight changes I take all of the songs okay everything the whole full song list Mm -hmm. and then i'll start with like the old-fashioned way i don't do this on spreadsheets or anything with a piece of with just a pencil and a clear paper i'll 
make the empty sets. So I'll put, oh, I have now like 11 by 17 pieces of paper at home so I could fit eight shows on the same <laughs> piece of paper. Went out to Staples just for this purpose. And I'll, and I'll make blanks, you know, I'll, I'll label the top of the set list, you know, so mm-hmm. it'll be like Pittsburgh 1, Pittsburgh 2, Richmond 1, Richmond 2 at the top, and then the bottom will be this week. And uh, Al from Mo once told me, Al Schneer, the guitar player of Mo, he once told me that when you're when doing set lists, always start with the closer and the openers. And if you can just get your closers and openers of the whole run set first, interesting that everything starts to fall into place really quickly. As you know, I used to spend hours on one show. Like I would just sit here all day and stare yes. at the paper and move shit around. And I would spend literally hours on one show. I have the process down to where I can pretty much do eight shows in the amount of time that I used to do one show. And I did oh, these great. eight shows in about an hour or two hours, you know, and then I came back and put another two hours in the next day. So in about four hours, these eight shows were done. And I did it exactly like that. I chose, I, I went through and I spread out what I consider the that the fans consider to be our epic most most epic and biggest songs with the biggest jams and the best peaks and i try to spread the peaks evenly through the shows because you know you know i want every every show has to have peak moments i I, you can't and especially you know especially with heaven there's (laughs) it's got to be perfect so so I spread the peak moments through, you know, I'll make sure that the basis is here and the shimmy's here and the crickets is there and the jigsaw is there and the munchkins is here. And it, luckily we have enough huge peak songs that I can write eight of these without repeating. I think the only song that I have repeated in this whole entire tour, besides the new songs, which we have to repeat, is Orc Theme. And I don't know yes. why Orc Theme is, gets special designation. I just, for some reason, something tells me that that's the thing that needs to be repeated once. It's something go with your cosmic. Gut. The fans, I think, I, I just think that that's what the one thing that they want the most. I don't know why I think that. Right. But I do. So, and that's how it goes. And, you know, with this Josh we're talking to, this particular... Yes. Run was special because then I sh- when we showed up, we had all these new songs that were trying to fit into the set. So we had to rewrite much of these set lists about two or three days before the tour in order to accommodate all the new songs and figure out which new songs were going to work and where they were going to work. And then as the tour rolled on... Figuring and- out where they work without really knowing what they're going to sound like at the same time. That was... You have to use your imagination, you know. Luckily, I have a vivid imagination. When I hear demos, I immediately produce it to a finished version in my head, you know. Like, mm-hmm. you, you send me something that's just guitar and keyboards, like Hero, the pul- Hero Pulse in your uh, um, demos folder. I could hear the band version of Hero, you know, in my head instantaneously. Yeah. I was like, okay, I know. And, and though the first time we played it, the first night... I did it. It didn't exactly translate that way. The second time we played it, when we played it on sun, last Sunday night in uh, Richmond in the Caterpillar Hero Caterpillar, it sounded exactly what I had thought it was ultimately going to sound like. I was yeah. like, "That's just what it is," and it's beautiful. So I, I thought it was better than what I thought it was going to be. I, I was like, "Wow, this really <laughs> blew up." Because yeah. it has there was a certain power to it that I I wasn't sure if that was going to be there or not, and it really was there. 
I knew that it was going to be there. Gave me chills and brought and tears sort of welled welled up when I was listening to it in the car, listening to it, but imagining the whole. It wasn't so much listening to it for me as I closed my eyes and I was there in Richmond with the band playing the song in my head. I, I was able to put myself there just from hearing that two track, you know, just guitar and piano. And so this whole process has been a, a little bit different and fun with the new songs like for tonight we've got to put some of these new songs in i we i'm looking at this room and thinking station has to get played and we didn't get to electric slinky last night and that song is gonna blow up the cavernous big concrete room those songs are gonna be huge in here and by the time people are hearing this they'll be able to go probably immediately reference the versions that i'm that we haven't yet played yes yeah for sure all right, let's do one more question. Let's do, uh, what was the one I wanted to ask that was, uh, okay, so people want you to discuss the modulus versus the alembic versus the Elric, why you're playing the bass that you're playing, what happened to the modulus, is it gone? What, people are confused about what, which is which at this point. Yeah. What's your prevailing wisdom right now? Well, you, you could probably find interviews of me talking about the alembic Putting the Alembic on felt to me like when you get in the eye doctor and they put the lens in front of you where finally everything's clear on the screen. Oh, wow. That's like how it felt when I first put the Alembic on. I was like, whoa, the sound is so crisp and clean and clear. But the bass came alive. It was like being deaf and then suddenly you can hear. That's how it felt. But it's just too damn heavy. (laughs) You know, I I get that. I get that. I can't hold the bass for the length of time that a disco biscuit show lasts for so i could do the whole switch bases out but the sound is too different than my other bass so one day in the middle of the show my back was hurting and i just looked at jesse and was like can i have the uh, the elric and he put it back on and it was kind of like getting it's so familiar that when you go back to an instrument that you played for literally 17 years straight and you put it back on it's like that old that pair of jeans that you're so comfortable in it's so light and the comfort level was there and this there's a a bass boost on the elric that doesn't exist on the on the alembic and i like that about it i've since stopped using that bass boost and i now i take the bass boost straight from the um from the he- the eq on the head we just switched that okay. on this tour Turns out I've been overdriving my head a little bit with this bass boost that's on the Elric. The reason that we don't use the modulus on stage is it's a 18 volt bass. It's just what does uh, that mean exactly? Okay, there's so the power the preamp in my Elric mm. is run by a 9 volt battery. Okay. Okay. And it's a great preamp. Pre- and so if the 9-volt goes dead, you can just go to the Quickie Mart and get another 9-volt and pop it in and yes. off you go. Right. Now, the problem with the modulus is it has two 9-volt batteries, so oh. you, you would need to go and buy two of them. But they probably have two. They do. They're driving. It drives the, the preamp drives so hard that mm-hmm. certain pedals can't handle the preamp in the, in the modulus. So, for instance, 
my octave pedal won't track with the modulus. It just doesn't track. Now, I'm sure there's an octave pedal out there that will track with the modulus. I mm-hmm. haven't gone ahead and figured out which one that is yet. So we just switched it out. You know, that's why the modulus doesn't get used on stage. But I do have the modulus and still use it and play it at some shows. It just doesn't play well with the rest of your setup. Not with my rig here. It gets like weird tracking issues on a, on a bunch of my pedals. That's a bummer. That's a huge bummer. I don't like it when that happens at all. I, I, if I have to switch instruments and then I have to only use certain things, like when I was trying to use the guitar synth and it only worked with the Unabomber and didn't work with the other guitar, it was uh-huh. just like, how much fun is this now? Right. That's not fun. It's yeah. a lot to think about when it's you should too be, much. You shouldn't be thinking about anything. Yeah, it should just be, you know, everything works perfectly all the time. That's uh-huh. ideally what it is. That's the key that the fans may not know about, is that if you're thinking, it's like sports too. You know, it's like being in the, in this playoffs in baseball. If you're at the bat and you're thinking you're going to strike out or pop up or some shit's going to happen, that's not good. Right. That's why Derek Jeter was so good in the clutch was apparently, this is what they say about him, is he didn't think nothing went through his head when he was in that moment. It was just blank. Just 100% focus. Whereas A-Rod would get into that situation and he'd be thinking, oh, I don't want to fuck this up. I don't want to fuck this up. Everybody has such a huge contract. Like, I'm I'm now, of course, making up what was in A-Rod's head because I don't know what he's thinking. But I'm imagining imagining it's if I don't hit this ball out, everyone's going to be all over me because I'm making $290 million and he could never hit the ball out. It was like... I've decided that's what happened to that guy's playoff career. And it's exactly the same with music. You've, if you're thinking, like, it's you can't get in the zone. Do you think that if uh, you got a $290 million contract that you would be unable to play the bass on stage? I would find that I think that I would probably be okay. You I think would you'd be, be okay? Yeah, I think I can handle that kind of pressure. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. It really is. That would be the... How do you live up to something like that? How does one live up to admitting that they're worth that much? But, yeah, it must be difficult. Uh, the fans, ironically, though, I'm surprised that they almost know more about all this stuff than, than we do. Uh, one fan is wondering what happened to the baseballs pedal. Yes, it's a piece of shit is what happened. Is that what happened? Yo, Joe Ferrara. Yeah. It's a piece of shit. Electroharmonics baseball battles. I had like one really good night with it. <laughs> I did. It was Camp Bisco. One. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was Burt. I-, I wanted to say that it was like Burt Basis, which is mm. which is ironically Rich Steele's email for all of you out there. I want to try to get in touch with Rich Steele. Burt Basis. Yes. So Burt. Popped the uh, thing on and I started slapping it and it was like making this highly resonant like sound and I was never able to get that to happen again but it was the coolest moment I ever had with the baseballs I'll never forget I was like this pedal's amazing but then we got a new baseball pedal you know how they do this they go and like they stop making it and then ten years later they start making it again but it's not what it was right it breaks they don't put all the, good the time parts in it anymore. Yeah, so the baseball's pedals just 
other pedals that are much, much, much better than it. If you have a Mutron 3 pedal, there you don't need a baseballs pedal is what I would say. And I do have it. I don't use the Mutron 3 a lot because it's it's hot. It, 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 that has the same problem. Yeah. You just, what are the parts that are in that? There's this old... Now color. there's three of them. There's one that's made by Musitronics. That's the original from the 70s in France. And that's mm-hmm. in my Biscuits rig. Oh, wow. Then they have... I want to put that on guitar. One that it's unbelievable and you don't even have to get you can we'll get to that one the second one is made by a company called has mm-hmm. and it's that was the remake in the 90s and that's on my travel rig and i i prefer that one to the original one from the 70s it's just like a little tighter and easier to dial the sound in mm-hmm. really really good pedal and now the guy who started that company or whatever is back and he's making mini Mutron 3s, you know, little like micro oh, Mutron 3. Yeah. Uh, Danny for Star Kitchen just got it last week. It's awesome. I mean, it's, really? a, it's a Jerry Tone machine, you know. I want a Jerry Tone machine. It's the one. And, you, yeah. you, and you, I think he does it with, it's the Mutron 3 mixed with the octave pedal. Ooh. Do you use an octave pedal? Yeah, all the time. I yeah. used it last night. Right. The octave pedal and the Mutron 3 together, it's like... I should try that because I have a Qtron, which is pretty similar to that. Yeah. But I haven't mixed it with the Octave because the Qtron's okay. The pedals are far away from each other. Yeah, it's not. My Qtron is hard to set well. As well, the Mutron 3 is too. They're kind of, it's a difficult sound to dial in. I mean, if you want to sound, you know, Jerry ish. I think if you take acid, it's easier to dial it in. <laughs> All right. So, speaking of the new sound, we don't have a huge amount of time because we got to play Syracuse tonight. And we were going to listen to this jam to a, a listener of the podcast, Laura Heifetz. She wanted the 12501 crickets. She says the sexiest crickets ever on one bass note. And we have, uh, we could listen to that, but I want to listen to some stuff from last night, to be honest, because we, we got time for one. Let's do that. We can always do this again. Yeah, we can always we have, do this again. We could, we could take a deep dive into 99, 2001, or 2003. Yeah, so we're Laura, on tour for two months here. Keep listening to the podcast. We got you on lockdown, and we will get to your crickets, Jim, of course, because we know how important it is to you. And that's what we're here for. We're here to be do important things for our fans. Um, what do you want to listen to? Twelve twenty-seven or three hundred eight on last night? Eleven twenty-two nineteen. Si Hall, Syracuse, New York. We're on the YouTube file, folks. For those of you who want to find the rest of the jams at home, we're going to listen to twelve. You want to listen to three hundred eight, the pure computer stuff, or twelve twenty-seven? Yeah. Let's start stuff? at three hundred eight. All right, let's try this. See what happens. Um, are you going to hear this? Is the question. Let's find out. Tell me Believe if you hear this. I do hear it. Oh, amazing. Ears. I think I'm on the octave pedal right here, actually. That's what my octave pedal sounds like. It's a little gritty. Hard to tell who's doing what. I know what Alan's doing, but that's about it. 
that a little guitar synth action? It's a guitar on, and then the synth is on, too. And the synth is on an arpeggiator. And it kind of grows if I, like, hold the guitar. If I mute it, it goes away. So are we somewhere in between orc theme and rocket science? Yeah, I think that's about right. For those of you not following along on video, I've just made the classic musician's stink face when Alan started bringing in that that cool snare. That was a nice move, Alan. I love this groove right here. What I'm doing here is I'm trying to set us up rhythmically for rocket science, which the first time we played it, um, I, I had a hard time finding where, like, you have to turn the whole beat around in order to get the, the groove of rocket science hit. Yeah, yeah, I can hear that. So is this just like, are you setting up like a... Like a cube that you can then change later, like getting us onto something that is movable. Well, now I've started to bring these core changes in here because I realized that I was a little ahead of myself on getting to rocket science and I wanted to give what you were doing here a chance to grow a little bit. You started going melodic right as I started to set up rhythmically where rocket science would be. Mm-hmm. So. Mostly, I just wanted to be rhythmically in the right spot. And once I got rhythmically where I needed it to be, I, now I can move, bring that four chord in, go to the five. And now, I'm not 100% sure what chords everybody's on, but I'm just grabbing some easy ones that I know are going to be easy to follow for... Magner kind of brought in we're not in the five bars yet but I heard Magner kind of hinted at the the one seven four changes that start rocket science off so I bit so you guys are both kind of coming at it from different angles yeah I was rhythmically setting us up and now he's harmonically setting us up and the key now is going to be who jams the extra bar in Right. You know, like who, who... That's funny. You're thinking about the extra bar this far in advance. I'm just thinking at this point, we just got to pop on the G at some point. 
Right. Which is what which is what ultimately what ended up happening. Yeah. Yeah, I got that eventually that there's there's no way to put the extra bar and you need to go down to to sit There I kind of dropped a little bit of the leg. I don't know why I did that. A little ahead of time. There's the G. Yeah. Boom, beginning of the song. I haven't even heard us do this song yet. I haven't heard a version of this yet. It's a feel-good disco song. I'm into it. All right, we got that. There's Rocket Science Jam. Dun, dun, dun. All right, now I want to back back to the 227 moment. All right, I'm going to switch right here. Here we go. All right, little, uh, little story of the world. So we're going to take this one out. We have time for one more? We have time? All right. Backstage, Biscuit Jam Conversation on the Touchdowns All Day podcast. Our guest today, Mr. Mark Brownstein, talking about Star Kitchen, his base setup, talking about biscuit set list, talking about jams, talking about some space disco. because I'm watching this on the YouTube and there's just a constant supply of people chatting on the YouTube during the show on the couch tour. Apparently a really fun aspect of the whole entire experience uh, is the chat. And I haven't ever seen it or read it because I just, you know, I do communicate with the fans and read their comments on Facebook and and stuff. but something about YouTube comments that just goes into a whole different realm. But I have family members and close friends who keep track, uh, and they say that the chat is the place to be. They say it's the funniest stuff ever. Really? You'd have to kind of... It's a culture. Like, they speak in code a little bit. People, like, know there's a, there's a language to the chat. That maybe really? somebody just off the street wouldn't understand all of the jokes, or you know, there's a lot of inside jokes, and yeah, I'm sure, right? It's probably a lot of the same people couch touring it up. 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing. Every single day, people thank us for providing them with free streams. It's a daily thing for me at this point, where every single day, whether we're on tour or not, people are constantly uh, expressing gratitude for... I like that. Do you like when people reach out and say that kind of nice stuff? I It makes me feel good when that kind of stuff happens. I love it. I really do. I like this jam. It's just kind of coasting along. I think on stage, you can get in a section like this and feel like, oh, I got to do something. Oh, I got to make this go somewhere. And yet when you listen to it, it's relaxing to listen to. It's enjoyable to listen to. Right. And and I, did, I was feeling exactly that. Which, why I brought the C chord in was a response to that thought process of like, okay, I got it. We're sitting in D and we're just sitting and funking in D. Maybe we could make a small change that will go a long way, you know, in terms of the user experience, the listener. Uh huh. Sometimes just one extra chord. Do you feel like like something that makes it more stable moving forward? Yeah, I think that I think that it, you have an easier time holding on to the listener with that second or third chord than by just sitting modally. Yeah. And there comes a point in every modal jam that we're in where it happens to me where I'm like, time for another chord. Yeah. Whereas maybe in 1997 and 8 and 9, that didn't happen as readily. I was too deep into what we were doing. The rotation. Yeah, yeah. To, to have the awareness that something was being called for. Yeah, I feel like when I listen to that older stuff, I feel like the chords just kind of spring up. They're not quite... We're not using them as, as, as we do now. We use them as tools now. And back then, they, they created themselves because they're there. Right. But now we know they're necessary and we can kind of, we're a little stronger with them. And then there's always going to be a faction that's like, well, it's better when they spring up out of nowhere. And those people could be right sometimes. So what do you call this kind of bass hop? Ba-doom, ba-doom, doom, doom. Is that behind the beat? Is that in front of the beat? How do you think about that? I'm trying. I'm trying as hard as I can to be right on the beat, you know. But let me sit. Let me think about like um, like I'm playing into the beat. I used to play off the beat all the time. I would be like, you know, like a bum bum bum, you yeah. know. Now I'm trying to hit the one, pause for one or two beats, and then play back into the one. Bam. Bam, 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 bam. Nice. Which I don't know if that's in front of the beat or behind the beat, to be honest. I'm trying to 
I've listened to a lot of my bass playing and I'm trying to have more conviction when playing rhythmically to like like here I've I know what you mean the, by that. I know I've exactly popped what you off mean. the rhythm here and now I'm just playing legato. Yeah. But when I play normally now you'll hear it's more staccato and I'm you know James Jamerson, the Motown bass player, he played with one finger. The claw. He okay. just he never did the two finger thing. No. And now this is the bass player who's on the most. So he's songs. like bum 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 bum. And so I started to practice like that to hear what happens, and it's so much more solid than go popping back and forth between two fingers because. Uh, Interesting. Because the fingers are different, you know, like they're different sized and they make a different sound on the. Each finger makes a slightly different sound on the bass. Okay. And so it's less even when you're bouncing back and forth between two fingers than when you're clawing it. So the last, this whole tour, I've been clawing it. Wow. Except what a in cool situations concept. where it's, it's like 16th the- notes and I just can't physically play with one finger. Right. Um, but in situations where I can, I'm just clawing it and it makes me play less notes, first of all. Mm-hmm. And just concentrate on hitting the spot right on and like do you ever listen to Krongbin? All the time. I love Krongbin. So I, I play along with that and that's when I realize how loose my bass playing is. She is tight. It's just like the notes are so on the the beat and, and yeah. it's like the, they're the right length. Everything's just like hits the note and then stops. There's all kinds of space, so tons of space in that. I've band. started to practice that a lot recently, just and and to apply it into the biscuits. I feel like we're getting tight. It, it's creating tighter jams for us to have me focused on rhythmic tightness. I mean, I feel the same way in the guitar. I feel like if I'm not playing melodically, it's because I haven't picked a rhythm for the melody to live in. And I'm coming into one lick with one hodgepodge of rhythm, and I'm coming in like this is a rhythm right here. Playing rhythmically here. But if I leave that, then I'll lose the melody of this section, and then they won't tie together, and then it loses the flow for me. Yeah, well, we're cruising along here towards Anthem. Right here, you have four people all just doing exactly the right thing. Oh, I like that pad.
You should see the lights over here. It looks crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're setting up, right? That was our that was our moment there. It was great. And then here we go, right here. Let's see. Perfect. Bands playing on all cylinders. Gotta love it. Thank you guys for listening. This is the Touchdowns All Day Podcast. Mr. Mark Brownstein. I'm John Barber. It's a pleasure to podcast from Syracuse, New York. We will uh we'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Victorious.